invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Colossians, as today we bring to a close a 12-part series we have done on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Starting next Sunday, Pastor Brian Regeer will be bringing two, uh, a two-week series, and then Pastor Eric Grosinger will uh, do uh, a third week. And then we will start out uh, with me again in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. So if you'd like to start reading through Joel, that's where we will be going after the other pastors lead us in the teaching of the Word. This morning we are in Colossians 3, and we'll be looking at verses 22 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to see that these verses are addressed to a slave and a master. Now, we don't have, for the most part here in the United States, slaves and masters anymore. There's still slavery going on in the world, but it it would not be part of our everyday lives. But there are principles in these verses that apply to us, especially in our work. In our series, we have been looking at Jesus as Lord. And we noted that sometimes in the New Testament, when Jesus is referred to as Lord, it's a reference to the fact that he is God. For example, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And in that verse, Jesus as Lord is referring to the fact that Jesus is God that he is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one that in obedience to the Father came to earth for the sole purpose of living a sinless life so that he could die for us, taking the penalty for your sin and my sin, the sin of the world upon himself. And then rose again from the dead, proving that he's God. So there are passages where Jesus as Lord is a reference to the fact that he is God. But many of the passages take that truth and then take it to the next step. In other words, they ask the question, because Jesus is the God-man who died for you and for me, now what? What difference should that make in your life? And we've been seeing that since Jesus Christ is the one who died for us, and through faith in him, we enter into right relationship with God and have peace with God. In that relationship, through faith, we stand before God as purchased people. The New Testament says we have not been purchased with gold or silver, We have not been purchased with the blood of a bull or a goat. We have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. And Jesus as Lord, the God-man who purchased us, stands in a position of authority over us. He has the right to rule in your heart and mine. He has the right to rule over your life and my life. 
And as we noted last week in the book of James chapter 4, he even has the right to rule in our everyday stuff, our everyday lives, even our work. And we talked about the tendency that we have of compartmentalizing our life. It's very easy to come on a Sunday morning and sing before the Lord and give a mental and a verbal assent to the fact that He is Lord and has the right to rule over us and then go home And in a sense, as we take our Bible and lay it on our shelf, it's very easy to lay Jesus on the shelf with our Bible and then head into Monday as if now this is my part of my life that I live. We have a Jesus compartment and a work compartment. Not often recognizing the fact that Jesus has authority over all the compartments. He has authority over every aspect of our lives because He purchased us, because He created us, because He bought us with His blood. There's not a Jesus compartment and a separate work compartment. Jesus has authority over all compartments. And today... As we come to Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 through chapter 4 verse 1, we're going to see that our heart attitude in the everyday stuff, even our work, our heart attitude toward our work reflects our understanding and aligning our lives with our view of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That We are to be viewing our work as not just serving ourselves, not even serving an employer, or not even serving our client or our customer base, but rather, ultimately, we are to view our work as service to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to look at this morning in Colossians 3. I will start reading out loud in verse 22. You can follow along in your copy of the word. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. You ever spend time thinking about what the worst jobs are? I find myself thinking about that periodically. What's the worst job? When I have traveled internationally, oftentimes I will be in countries 
where they will have a bathroom attendant. I think that's to be a terrible job to be the guy in the in the store in the public restroom in Slovakia that takes your money for you're using the bathroom and if you're going to use toilet paper you have to give him extra money for the paper i mean that that would not be a real enjoyable job well there are some jobs that just don't seem like they would have a lot of reward not a lot of fun uh, in the winter time i am a little bit obsessive about keeping salt off of my vehicles. I like the fact that we can drive on roads that are not icy, but all oh, the salt. And you can always tell when you're in a part of the country that salts their roads and we are there. So I periodically will run my vehicle through an automated car wash to get that water jets up underneath the body of my car, underneath the car to get some of that salt off. And I often think as I'm going through what it would be like to be the guy at the end of the line. The guy with the rag that drives off, dries off my vehicle. And the particular car wash that I use, it's usually the same guy on the left and the same guy on the right. And you come up and they have that blower incessantly in their ear. I would think you would just go to sleep at night with the sound of that blower in your ear. And he starts in the front and he works his way down the side and then he looks up, well, there's another car and he has to throw out on the rag and he has to get another rag and he starts in the front and he works down the side and oh man, there's another car and he has to get another rag and he goes. And all day long, they just keep coming. It's just like this incessant line of repetitive requirements I have to use the same motion and you think your shoulder would ache by the end of the day that same motion the same hands drawing this car and then the next one and then guys like me who maybe they didn't do a good job the first time and oh man the guy was just in here three minutes ago you know what a tough job thinking about oh I have to go do that again today how can they possibly find any kind of reward, any kind of happiness in their work. How could they? Well, ultimately, we do not find our reward in work in viewing our service as to our employer. We don't find our reward in work from getting a paycheck. Because quite frankly, probably most of us in this room have had repetitive jobs. I used to work in a factory, same motion over and over and over. Uh, While the paycheck is nice, that doesn't really, I'm not thinking about that a whole lot in the middle of the afternoon when it's 103 degrees in the plant. I'm doing the same thing over and over. So we don't get our, our fulfillment in our work from serving our employer. We don't get it from our paycheck. We really don't find a ton of fulfillment even in helping to meet needs of people, but sometimes we do. Paul says, really the one who we serve is the person of Jesus Christ. And when we serve Jesus Christ through our work, we experience joy. And that is the Apostle Paul's 
challenge to us today to start, if we're not already, viewing our work in a very different way. He begins in verse 22, down through verse 25, telling us that we need to view our work as actually serving the Lord. And he says in verse 22, slaves. Now again, we don't totally relate to that. None of us in this room are literally a slave. We're not owned by a master. But the principle here can be applied to us all as we serve someone else who has authority over us. Or even in we, when we are self-employed or we are a, a stay-at-home mom serving our children, we still can apply this principle. Here's the principle. In our service, we are ultimately serving the Lord. Paul uses a play on words here in verse 22. He says, slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external services, those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, we don't see the play on words in our English translation because my translation uses two different English words to translate the same Greek word, but the Greek word is the word for Lord. Literally, this verse could be written, slaves in all things, obey those who are your lords on earth. Not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So Paul is saying, out of reverence For the Lord, Jesus Christ, we serve our earthly lords, our masters, those to whom we are accountable, those who in our culture today are our employers. We serve them not just like men pleasers, like, well, we're going to work really hard when the boss is around, and then when the boss isn't around, we slough off. No, with sincerity of heart. He says, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, with sincerity of heart, fearing or with reverence to the Lord. And then he says this in verse 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. You see, that's the key. When we think Christianly, when we are not having a separate compartment for Jesus and a separate compartment for work, we can view our work in whatever we do as ultimately serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to give us the motivation for this in 24, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. So our reward is the inheritance. Well, what's the inheritance? If we look at that little phrase in the New Testament, our inheritance is our ultimate salvation. Jesus Christ is the one who made it possible for us to be in right relationship with God. Therefore, our reward is in our relationship with Him. We are serving Him. Ultimately, every day when I go to work or when I'm at home working or when I'm volunteering as a retired person, ultimately I'm serving the person of Jesus Christ. 
Paul sums it up in the end of verse 24. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. If we don't have the heart at right heart attitude, Paul says, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. If we're not, as a Christian, working as unto the Lord, we will suffer for it. There'll be discipline there because God is all about bringing us into conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. What he wants from us is wholehearted dedication, wholehearted devotion. When I was a kid, my least favorite holiday was Labor Day. I hated Labor Day because my parents missed the whole point. They, all of my friends on Labor Day would like go on picnics and they'd go to the lake and they'd go skiing and they would do fun little trips and, and my parents would say, it's Labor Day, we labor. And so they, they, every Labor Day they would come up with this long list of work. And I used to hate Labor Day. I, I can remember complaining to them incessantly, you guys are missing the point. And I think, I really believe that my father took this literal interpretation thing way too far. It's like, no, we're not supposed to labor on Labor Day. Well, that's what we do in this house. And my parents were old school. You know, allowance? You you work because you're part of this family and there's food on your table. Now, you may have differences of opinion about that whole thing, and that's fine. I'm just saying that's how I was raised. Labor Day is for labor. Now, I am sure that my parents had some kind of verbal teaching that went along with their work ethic. I don't remember a thing that they said about it except some of those lines like, Labor Day's for labor. But I do believe that my parents taught us in their deeds, not necessarily their words. And here's the message that I believe that my parents left with me and my siblings. It's a very simple one. Work is good. That's the message. That was the message that my parents left with me. Work is a good thing. We celebrated work. In fact, on those labor days, I can remember, and other work days around, we lived out on an acreage. Always lots of work to do. I can remember celebrating. We would finish and dad say, okay, we got done what we needed to do. I'm going to go to Pizza Hut and get us a pizza. Now that was a big deal back then and and the pizzas actually had like a little paper teepee on top of them they were cool it just didn't have this box you know and and you get to carry that little teepee and you can smell it coming home and it was a big deal we got we celebrated work or we'd sit out on our on our deck and in the evening after a long day of work and 
And dad would break out some soda, which we, you know, you have one 16-ounce bottle split amongst six people. It wasn't a lot, but, you know, we would celebrate work. You know what? The Bible celebrates work. The Bible tells us that work is a good thing. Clear back at the beginning. Clear back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 15, This is what we read. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And we've talked about this before, but those two words are very special words in that verse. They're work words. They talk about work. They are to cultivate the garden. They are to keep the garden. But those words are also used in the Old Testament in reference to worship. And what Genesis 2.15 does is it begins giving us a theology of work. It sets the tone that upon which the New Testament is built that work is good. That in a very real way, when we are working as unto the Lord and not as unto men, our work is an act of worship. That... Remember, worship is simply a heart response to a revealed God. Work is not a result of the curse. Remember, toil in our work is a result of the curse. Work is part of God's design for us. And in Genesis 2.15, we see those very important words that describe work and worship together. That in our work we are serving the Lord. It's upon those bedrock truths that the Apostle Paul tells you and tells me as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians. That in response to Jesus as Lord in our lives, the fact that he purchased us out of our bondage, in our hearts, every aspect of our life belongs to him Even our everyday stuff. The stuff that sometimes is mundane. The stuff that often there's no real reward to it. Yet, we serve the Lord, and that gives us joy. You know, think about the workplace today. There should be a vast difference in your life as a Christian... And the life of your non-Christian co-workers in your attitude toward work. People should actually be able to see the difference in your life. That when we are from the wholeness of our being serving Jesus Christ as an act of worship in our work. We actually reflect Jesus. People see that. They see the difference in our attitude when the boss isn't around. They see the difference in our work ethic when no one's watching. Or our attitude when maybe we're asked to do something without proper remuneration. People see the difference. And here the Apostle Paul challenges us that our heart, should reflect our understanding of the Lordship of Jesus Christ.
You know a good way to help apply this principle in our lives so that it, it just becomes part of our everyday thinking is to memorize Colossians 3, 23. We just had these children up here a little while ago from our Awana program. That meritorious award at the end, uh, upwards of 600 Bible verses. And guys like me look at those children and say, well, man, that good thing they're doing that scripture memory when they're at that age, because good luck when you're my age. So here's what we do. We trick ourselves. And we can still memorize scripture, but we have to trick ourselves. We don't say that we're memorizing scripture. Here's here's my little trick. Take Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto, as unto the Lord and not as unto men. And the NASB says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Write it out on a card. And don't tell yourself that you're memorizing it. Just keep it in your car. And when you're at a stoplight, take your card and read it out loud. And just keep reading it and reading it and reading it. Tell yourself, I'm not memorizing scripture. I'm just reading scripture. Just read it and read it. I loved what Barbara Bean did for our all church appreciation dinner with the little card from, from Mark 8. We have that over our kitchen sink now. You could take Colossians 3.23, put it wherever you're going to see it, and just read it. And the more you read over it and read over it and read over it at the stoplight, pretty soon you won't even need the card anymore. You will have memorized it and didn't even know it. It's great. That's my tip for old guys. Colossians 3.23 is a great verse to put to memory. Because... In the week, in that that part of our life where it's so easy to compartmentalize, it's just an, it's a tool that the Spirit of God can use in our life just to remind us in this workplace, whatever your workplace is, maybe as a volunteer at the hospital as a retired person, maybe your workplace is in your home raising up children so that they can see Jesus Christ lived out through your life in your in your spouse's life. Whatever your workplace is, there are times when we need to be reminded of this principle in a great way is just to memorize chapter 3, verse 23, and let the Spirit of God do the work in and through you. Now, it's important for us to remember that there's another half to this equation. As a worker, I am supposed to serve, ultimately serve Jesus Christ with my work. It's biblical. There's no such thing as a work compartment of my life and a Jesus compartment of my life. There is to be an integration of faith and work. Uh, Christian principles need to be lived out through my life in my everyday mundane life. But as we come to chapter 4 verse 1, we also see that we are to think Christianly about those who work for us. And many of us in the room will say, well, I don't have anyone that works for us. I don't, there's no one that works for me. Yes, there is. Everyone in this room has a, someone that serves you. 
Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Again, we have a play on words. The word master there is the word Lord. So it says, Lords, earthly lords, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a Lord in heaven. You see, he's saying, ultimately, we have to answer to him. And those who serve us deserve to be treated with grace, with justice, with fairness. We need to treat those who work for us with fairness. When Barbara and I were first married, uh, we were visiting some relatives, my aunt and uncle in Denver. Oftentimes you'll hear people talk about their rich uncle. I actually had one. This was my rich uncle that lived in, in, in Denver, and he's passed away now. But when Barbara and I went to visit my uncle and my aunt, uh, they wanted to take us to their country club. So I was thinking, this will be great. We're getting to go to their country club and have dinner. We arrived only to find out that I was not dressed appropriately. And so they had to borrow the club sport coat and the club tie. Now, any of you who know me well know that that really creeps me out. That's why the thought of going to a bowling alley just really bothers me because I have to put on shoes that someone else has worn. So here I'm wearing this sport coat that 200 other guys have been in in a tie that has been around all these other men's sweaty necks and I have to dress up to go sit at this table. So I did it and I put on the used sport coat and the other guy's tie and we sat down at the table. My uncle ordered Chateaubriand to be prepared tableside, which is a fancy schmancy way of saying beef tenderloin with sauce. It's like you go to a restaurant and they say, and tonight's vegetable is air couvert. Buddy, it's green beans. Just call it green beans. You don't have to call it air couvert. It's green beans. So basically, you know, we had beef with sauce and green beans. But we call it Chateaubriand. So the chef is making our Chateaubriand. I'm here with this ghastly other man's tie on and this sport coat. Not feeling too great about the situation anyway. And then this poor little high school girl comes along and fills my water glass. Unfortunately, she filled my water glass before she filled my wife's water glass. And my uncle went berserk. He tore into that girl, chastising her publicly for filling my water glass before my wife's water glass. He called for the manager. And the manager had to come over. And he publicly railed on this girl in, with the manager, with all these people around, because this my water glass was filled before the girl's water glass. And I just wanted to creep underneath the table, take off the gross sport coat, and go to McDonald's. Now, in that situation, at least in that aspect of his life, my uncle was not recognizing that this young woman was actually serving him. 
And he, at least in that situation, was blind to the fact that he needed to treat her with grace and fairness and justice. Now, my uncle had many people who worked for him, and I don't know, maybe he was a great employer. We all have blind spots in our lives, don't we? But this principle in chapter 4, verse 1, says to all of us, those who serve us need to be treated graciously, fairly, justly. You ever, have you ever asked your attendant on a flight if they prefer working in first class or coach? The ones that I have asked said, man, I'd rather be back here with you guys. It's important for us to remember that that mechanic, that that administrative assistant with whom we're interfacing on the phone, that person that is helping to check us out, whatever, we all have people serving us. You see, it's important for us to grasp onto the fact that we don't have an everyday compartment of life and a Jesus part of life. Our everyday part of life is the Jesus part of life. That it's some of those moments when we're not even quote-unquote thinking about Jesus are the exact times that Jesus needs to be making a difference in our life. It's, it's the everyday stuff. It's the mundane stuff that where Jesus wants to be infiltrating your life and my life. We all fail. I fail. I'm guessing as you reflect, there's probably times that you have too. We confess it, and then we ask the Spirit of God to help us in our work, to not compartmentalize our lives, but rather to allow Jesus Christ to have authority over every compartment of our life, even our work, so that we think differently about our work. That we understand that ultimately we are serving the person of Jesus Christ. We do our work as for the Lord. Father, I thank you that Jesus is Lord. So often we don't recognize it, especially in everyday parts of our lives, but that does not detract from his lordship. He still has authority. And we thank you for the reminder that that authority encompasses all areas of our lives, every compartment, including our work. We thank you that you have given us work as a good thing and that in serving you with a proper heart, we actually can work as an act of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.